Great, well, I'm being given the uh, privilege and joy of welcoming Jazz, so let's give her a, a warm welcome. Let's give her a clap. I'm going to go off. Um, yeah, it's been a real pleasure getting to know Jazz um, a lot better over the last year. Um, uh, Jazz is on the Reasons Beyond UK team uh, and is a key, uh, key person helping us move forward as a family of churches, which we are as Reasons Beyond. And she's based down in, in Croydon, down in South London, um, and she's been up with us for the weekend. She stayed with Claire and, I, Claire and myself and uh, been great about an hour after arriving uh, in our house. Joel declared, I love Jazz. So there we go. So she's clearly, <laughs> clearly a winner with our children. Um, oh, I'm turning on someone's tablet. I didn't even and, have to pay him. <laughs> uh, and she's, uh, yeah, been really serving us amazingly this weekend. So we look forward to hearing from her. I'll just pray for you, if that's all right. Father, thank you so much for Jazz, Lord. Thank you for the gift, Lord, that you've placed within her. Thank you for who she is, Lord, as, as your daughter, Lord, and the way that you're using her, Lord, in your kingdom purpose. And Father, thank you that you've drawn her up here, brought her up here this weekend, Lord. And we pray right now. Holy Spirit, would you fill her? Would you anoint her? Lord, we pray words of life, words of challenge, Lord, words of encouragement will be spoken to us as a community this morning, Lord. So come, Lord Jesus. Lord, we open our hearts to you. And we say, speak deeply into them. In your mighty name. Amen. 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 Thank you very much. It's very good to be in Durham. I trust that you will understand my rather soppy southern accent. Okay. Um, But I'm hoping that that will be okay. Uh, They haven't told me what time I need to end by. So quite frankly, I feel like I can take liberty because I think 30 years was mentioned. So I'm going to go with that. It's all right, Alan. Uh, half eleven cheeky <laughs> right um, uh, well you found out that my name is Jazz and that's probably as much as you know about me so I'm going to tell you before I get into the word I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself I'm going to take a little bit of liberty to do that uh, I'm married to Tim and I have two sons my sons are now 19 and 17 but it was December the 2nd nearly 13 years ago that uh, my boys arrived on the doorstep so we uh, adopted our two sons and they, they came as like an early Christmas present to Tim and I. That's kind of the only way we can describe it. They sort of rocked up. And I don't know if you know much about adoption or not, but what happens for the first two weeks, the kids don't have to go to school and we don't go to work. You mentioned it's your bonding time together. I also always tell you that my boys came from Leeds, so they had to travel down to London and they came with quite strong Yorkshire accents which were quite cute back then. Now they talk proper South London, innit? But, but then they had really cute accents. And, uh, and I, Tim and I were, were brand new parents. We kind of didn't know what, you know, after the sort of the first couple of days, and it's winter, we'd been indoors, and there's only so many reruns of cars I could actually watch before I started to lose the plot. Didn't take me long. And uh, so... About two days after they'd been there, I said, let's go to the park. I thought, well, that's what parents do. They take their children to the park, do they not? And, uh, but, you know, unwise new mum who didn't realise that all the other kids are in school, so there's not going to be much going on in the park. It's winter, it's cold and miserable, but the boys are so excited. Oh, yeah, mummy, we love park. We want to go to the park. And so... Yeah, you see, you understood me. And, um, and so they um, 
wrap themselves up in nice, uh, cosy jackets and whatever and scarves, and we rush around to the park. And I was like, "Phew, something else to do." And when we got to the park, we realised that there were two swings. Like, oh, mummy, we want to go on swings. We're so excited by swings. And so I'm like, okay. And uh, and we got there, and we realised that one swing was fine, but the other swing. Obviously, the bigger children had been in, and they had uh, flipped it over the top of the bars. And I'm kind of vertically challenged. I'm only five foot. And uh, and I'm looking at this, and I'm saying, don't worry, boys, because I'm super mum. And I figured that if I took a good run at the swing and pushed really hard, I could get it over the top of the bar. So I put the boys to one side, and I took my run, and I pushed hard. And I didn't push hard enough, so it didn't go over the top. So as I turned around to get away from it, you're not supposed to laugh now. As I turned around to get away from it, the swing got me on my shoulder and I landed flat on my face in the mud. I was in agony, but I was desperate not to scream or worry the boys or do anything. So in my desire to contain the scream that was deep within me, I just froze on the spot and I just lay there still trying to absorb the pain. And I could hear the little voices and I could hear the youngest one. He was four at the time. Did I tell you they were six and four when they came? I should have told you that. Um, when he was four and he said, oh, mummy, 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 wake up. Oh, no, mummy, she's dead. That's when you were supposed to laugh. Anyway, the older one, in his wisdom, went, no, she's not dead. She's just gone to heaven. (laughs) Which was my introduction to being a mum. Just want you to know that I did actually manage to get the swing over the bar, and they did manage to have a good time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. There was a bit of work, but I got there. So that's part of my story, and uh, I also live in Croydon. Forgive me, uh, those of you that were with me yesterday, thank you for coming. You're now going to hear a repeat. So I've just given you that warning now. You can have a little switch off, have a five-minute sleep while I tell the next bit of my story. Um, I come from Croydon, but I I grew up in, well, born in India, but did all my growing up in Wimbledon. Wimbledon is nice, and it's posh, and it's lovely, and it's clean, and it's tidy. we um, went about 23 years ago when I was sort of going, I feel, I feel the call to go, to go full time in the church. There was a number of us in the church of Wimbledon that had that same sense of God moving us on and doing stuff with us. And so one of my friends, she got called to Australia. And I'm like, oh, maybe God will send me somewhere really exotic and far away to Australia. I was quite excited about that thought. And then another one of my friends, she got called to the Philippines. Well, I don't know much about the Philippines, but it sounded even more exotic than Australia. And then another one of my friends got called to India, and I was like, fantastic. Well, I can speak the language. That's no problem. I could go and serve the church in India. And then another one of my friends, wait for this, she got called to Hawaii. I got Croydon. Croydon. 20 minutes from Wimbledon, and if you come from Wimbledon, you don't have a good opinion of Croydon. But God spoke to me over the course of a year, 
And it's when God speaks, just like Alan was just sharing just now, that because God spoke, the churches are doing their thing and we're going to have Redeemer and we're going to have Emmanuel. You do things because God speaks. And God spoke and made it really clear that actually I was to go to Croydon. Um, There is a verb in the Bible, and I'm hoping this will just appear on the screen. If I do that, here it is. There you go. So this is Croydon. And um, you can see it's in the south of London. I've given you a little map and all the rest of it. You can have a little look at that. Uh, There's some iconic buildings in Croydon for you. Um, There is now a verb in the Bible which says... In the Bible? In the dictionary. (laughs) Sorry. When I do stuff like that, just humour me and just like... just. Just, just fill in the blanks yourself. End of. And um, the, um, there is this verb, to croydonize a town. To croydonize a town means to ruin it with large grey buildings. That's what it means, yeah. That's where I live. That's my hometown. And, um, and I have to admit, my first year in Croydon was possibly the most challenging year of my life. And many days I wanted to tender my resignation and say, I need to leave, I need to go, I can't do this. It was hard work. Um, Except that God had said. And that's the thing that sustained me. It kept me there. And uh, it was at the end of my first year that I discovered that we have this building. Or even this building, no? This building, there you go. Even this building which is Lunar House. I don't know if any of you have come across Lunar House, but it's the home office. And at the end of my first year, I realised that in in every real possible sense of the word, every nation in the world at some point has to travel through Croydon. And at some point, people make their home in Croydon. We have every nation, nationality, and it's lovely to be part of this where I'm very aware there are many nations represented. But Croydon, I mean, to be kind of white and English is actually a rarity in Croydon. I'm not even joking. It's a rarity. Every tribe and nation seems to be in Croydon. And at that point, I realised this, that in a very real way, that this church in Croydon, the church in Croydon, not just Croydon Jubilee, which is what I'm part of, could reach the very ends of the earth as people come to know Jesus and take the good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth. It's kind of cool, isn't it? And that was the moment where I was settled in my heart that Croydon is the place where I need to be. But for you guys, Durham is the place where you are called. This is your mission field. This is your ground. And actually, even what I, I had a tiny little window of opportunity to go into Durham yesterday and just saw how the nations of the world are represented in a city called Durham. And that excites me. And actually, Durham, I haven't been here for about 25, 26 years. It's been a long time. But I had possibly my most, one of my profound encounters with the Holy Spirit in Durham Cathedral. Just God just caught a hold of me in Durham Cathedral. Didn't even come to Emmanuel Church. <laughs> I was in Durham Cathedral. I was a visitor. I was being a tourist. And um, there was a, a window there, which back then was a contemporary stained glass. It's now really quite old, I guess. But um, it was a, a... Do you know the one I mean? Yes, Jazz. Yeah. But it's a contemporary window with um, Jesus and his disciples at the Last Supper. And I just stood there. And um, as I stood there, the sun streamed through. And I just got caught in the sun's rays. The Holy Spirit just came upon me. And I just encountered Jesus in a very deep, 
profound and real way uh, that was life-changing. So Durham has a little bit of a special place in my heart. Now, my job in the church is an evangelist. That's what I do. That's my job title. Except for a long time, it took me a while to work out what an evangelist actually was. Um, yeah, I know. You'd think I would know by now, wouldn't you? I do know now. But we... Um, and sometimes I, I worry that when I tell people that I'm an evangelist, that they might think that I like stand on telly and ask you for your money. I don't do that. Um, I don't stand on street corners with a billboard on me. Um, I don't do that. And actually, I know that a lot of the time we have done a lot of door knocking. It's not my favourite thing to do. I'm not going to lie to you. That's not what I think an evangelist is. My role as an evangelist is to equip the church to understand the mission that we are on that we are all called to evangelize. We are all called to tell people about the good news of Jesus. But what does that mean for us right now in 2019? We often go to the latest conference and we get stirred up. Um, but I think we live in this dangerous culture, and I call it dangerous because we live in what's called a McDonald's generation, where we want things happening in an instant. We want answers in an instant. We want results in an instant. But Jesus didn't call us to make converts. He called us to make disciples. And that's kind of what I want to look at today and how we do that. Um, I actually expanded all of that yesterday for those of you that were there yesterday. I don't know if it was recorded yesterday. I presume it wasn't. I wasn't mic, so sorry, hard lines. You'll have to come again. Um, so today I want us to look at a passage that I am... Um, uh, I think you'll be familiar with if you know the Bible. Um, and here we go. So let's see. So it is in oh, Luke, Luke 14, I'm starting at verse 15, so if you've got Bibles, you've got phones, you've got iPads, whatever, that's where I am. I'm just going to read it to you, and I know that it's a passage that many of you know, will know well. Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God, Jesus Sorry, have I started at the right place? No, let me start again. When one of, these, one of, when one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. And the servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant to go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you have ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. Right at the beginning of this, the Pharisees are having a meal. They are there and they, they say at the end of this meal, blessed is the one who will eat, or sorry, at the beginning of the meal, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. A man says this to Jesus. 
And this particular phrase requires a particular answer. You know, when we all pray and we say amen at the end, because that's what we do. When this particular phrase is said, there is a particular response that should be given. But of course, Jesus being Jesus didn't give that particular response because he answered that response with the parable that we're going to look at. And, um, and I guess, I don't know whether the, the guy was testing Jesus to see if he knew the answer or what his answer was going to be. But Jesus tells this parable. And we're talking about uh, a certain man who wanted to have a banquet. And before I go on, I want you to fully understand that this certain man, make no mistake, we are talking about God here. Okay, God the Father. That's the certain man who is preparing a banquet. But this particular passage links back to Isaiah 25. Now, Isaiah is, is um, a prophetic book, if you like. It's in the Old Testament. It's before Jesus was born. It's announcing that that is going to happen. So if we link back to Isaiah 25, it says this. On, the mountain, on this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. Isaiah is painting a picture of that that is to come. He is describing something so glorious, a rich food for all peoples. You know, when I talked about Croydon and all the nations of the world, and I saw a little glimpse of it in Durham yesterday, he means for every single person. No one should be missed out. And a banquet of aged wine. I'm presuming that's a good thing. I'm not a insect wine particularly. If it was gin, maybe I'd understand. But, but he is preparing this banquet, the best of meats and the finest of wines. He is painting a picture of something beautiful. And in this passage, he's also declaring that actually death will be beaten. And all of us live in the good of knowing Jesus Christ. And we know that what Jesus did on the cross, he beat death so that we would not have to die, but we could live forever. And I do not know what the forever, what heaven will look like, but this I am confident of. I will not be disappointed. Of that I am confident. Of that I know that that is to come is more than I can even begin to imagine. And I've got quite a vivid imagination. But I know that that is to come is more glorious than anything I have ever seen or ever tasted. It is sweeter than the sweetest thing. It's more magnificent than the most beautiful sunset or sunrise. It's got to be more than that because I can imagine those things. It's got to be faster, crazier, more beautiful, more wonderful than anything I have ever seen. And I don't have enough words to describe it. And the Bible doesn't give me enough words. I don't have enough language. But I know that I will not be disappointed. You will not be disappointed. You will be glad with all of God's decision. That's what Isaiah is talking about. He's talking about that that is to come. All the, he will remove people's disgrace from all the earth. But just like we have writers, and we have people that interpret things, and, and actually these days people put their opinions on Facebook, on the internet, on blogs, and blogs, and all sorts of things immediately. The Jewish people had their own writers at the time. 
And so people heard stuff like this, but um, it got interpreted in all sorts of ways. So sadly, one of the writers, I can't actually pronounce all the names, but you guys are all intelligent. We're in Durham, aren't we? And um, so you'll be able to pronounce all the names. But one of the writers wrote this. Yahweh of hosts prepares for all the peoples in this mountain a meal. And although they suppose it is an honour, it will be a shame for them and great plagues, plagues from which they will not be able to escape. Because we easily take scripture and we can, it got twisted. This isn't scripture, by the way, just to be clear, this is not in the Bible, this is not what God says. I want you to understand that, I want you to know that, do not believe this. Another writer wrote, um, there will be a great banquet. Oh, my thing's not moving on. There will be a great banquet, and Gentiles will be included, but the angel of death will use his sword to destroy the Gentiles. The banquet hall will, not, will run with blood. Sounds like something out of Harry Potter. But this is what the Jewish people were being taught at the time. Not everybody, but this is what they were hearing. And finally, I want to just read this to you. Please understand, this is absolutely not scripture. No one can attend the banquet who is smitten in flesh or paralysed in his hands or feet or lame or blind or deaf or dumb or smite in his flesh with visible blemish. Listen. Anybody got a spot on their face right now? Because basically this is saying that if you have any kind of blemish, any kind of blemish, you will not be welcome. What a load of nonsense. It's completely controlling, and it's controlling people, and it's breeding fear. So when we go back to that passage, and we look at what uh, the, the Jewish ruler asked, he said, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus was supposed to say, Oh, that I might be good enough. That was meant to be his response. There was no assurance that the Jewish ruler, ruler was good enough. So let's look at this passage. I am... Um, sorry. If we break down this passage, the first thing that happens is that the servant is sent out and he's, uh, he's, he's, these people that he's inviting, these are the, the people that are worth inviting. They're the, the, the intended guests, if you like. And when we, I don't know, I, I was at Ali and Claire's and I noticed, I think it was at their house, it might have been in Sally and Keith's. One of them on their fridge has got a, a save the date for someone's wedding. Was it you guys? Uh, it was you guys, yeah. And I noticed they had this really cute save the date. When you invite somebody to somewhere, especially something like a wedding, you know, people know in advance. We now send out save the dates before the actual invitation goes out because people want you to be there. These guys knew ahead of time that there would be a banquet, that they were going to be invited. And the servant goes and says, banquet's ready. It's time for you to come. And yet they all make excuses. It's like a, a conspiracy to humiliate the master. That's what it is. It's a conspiracy to humiliate. And so um, the first guy says, oh, I bought some fields and I must go and see it. Ah, what a rude excuse. It's just rude as far as I'm concerned. I went out with Ali on Friday afternoon. He took me to go and see uh, the, the possible building that he's got his eye on. 
He's been thinking about it. The, the church are thinking about it. They're considering it. They're weighing it. You don't buy property just like that, not even in this country. That just doesn't happen. Anybody try to buy a house? Takes time, doesn't it? Anybody try to even rent a property? Some of you students will know what that might be like, you know, second year trying to rent somewhere, trying to find the right house. First year it's easy, they make it easy for you, don't they? But, but, I've just bought a field, I've got to go and check it. The, the, the guy that's gone to check the field, the invited guest, he already knows his field. He would have checked it out long before he bought it. He didn't need to go and check it at the time of the banquet. The second one says, please excuse me, I've just bought five yoke of oxen. If you bought five yoke of oxen, again, you would have checked them out. I don't know how anybody here bought five yoke of oxen recently. It's not something that I would do. But I do understand that you would have had to check them out. You don't just buy oxen on the day and think, I need to go and check now. You don't order them in the catalogue or online and think, I ought to go and check them. No, you have visited them. You check that they're healthy, that they are good, they are in good shape, that they match together, they can work together. It's just another rude excuse. And then the third one, well, that guy is even ruder still because he says, I just got married. And basically he says, me having time with my wife for a bit of, you know, I'm not going to say that out loud. But that's way more important, which (laughs) is way more important than, than coming to your banquet. That's what he's saying. Again, this is the Middle East we're talking about here. This is a nation where that kind of language shouldn't even be appropriate as far as I understand it. And back in the day, that kind of comment, that reference to your wife, should not have been said publicly. I'm sure, you know, it happens. But there you go. That's, that's, that's just downright rude. These excuses are pathetic. But they are designed to humiliate the master. And what I love about this passage is that the servant comes back and he says to his, he says to his master that, um, that they've all said no. And the master was angry, but in just one sentence, in fact less than one sentence, the master completely changes his mind. And he says, no, go out, go quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. He says, go out. Go and find other people, the ones that technically shouldn't be invited. The ones that have a blemish, the ones that have a disability, the ones that aren't the beautiful people of the day. Invite them in to my banquet. And I don't know how the servant felt at that moment, because you know, none of Jesus' words are ever wasted. But I guess if he just had three rejections and you then go back to the uh, master and the master says go out again and you experience the master's anger and then you go out again, you might be a little bit apprehensive. But actually the servant is obedient. Obedient to what the master has told him. We heard that through the prophetic words this morning about joyfully submitting. It was his job to be fair. He had to do it. That's what paid him. But he went back out and he compelled people to come back in. And this time, people who didn't think they were invited were invited. They're like, what, me? I can come? Yes, you. You can come. 
you are welcome. You are so welcome to come and enjoy the banquet. And this time, the servant comes back and he says, Sir, the ser- what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. You see, at that precise moment in time, the servant gets it. He enjoys the thrill of inviting and seeing people say, Yes, I'm going to come. And he goes out, and so he goes out even further outside the city walls to go and bring people in. And he compels them to come in. It's a beautiful, beautiful way of describing what we are called to do. That we are called to invite people into our world. It's a beautiful way of reminding us that actually we are to go for every single person. That not one person has been missed out. Not one of you are missed out. But sometimes I, I worry. I worry. I think sometimes and I'm not being judgmental, and I'm not being critical. But sometimes I think that we don't act like this matters. I think we get used to being a Christian. I think we get used to coming to church on a Sunday and doing our conferences and attending this and being part of this group and being part of that group. And we forget how important it is to invite people into our world, to invite people on a Sunday morning. We act like it doesn't matter. And yet I know in your heart of hearts you know that it matters. But somehow we stop inviting. And so that's really my challenge this morning, that we remember that we are to include people into our family, to bring them in, to compel people to come in. But here's the thing, when they come in, let people know that they are so welcome. You know, don't just invite them and leave them outside on the door. You know, make sure that there's a seat for them, that they know that this is a seat that is absolutely dedicated to them. It is for them that they are welcome. And I know you guys today have got a, a student lunch on. Yeah? Some of you are involved in that, I take it. Some of you students will stay for a freebie lunch because you're welcome. It's part of a demonstration of this church to say, hey, you are welcome. We want you to know that you matter. We want you to know that you belong. We want to take you by the hand. And if you don't yet know Jesus, we want to introduce you to Jesus, the one who has come to rescue us, redeem us, and give us life in all of its fullness. You can cheer at that point. (laughs) I love this passage. I love how it compels us, and I want us to remember that. As I said, if Jesus is the Son of God... This matters. Our invitations matter. We keep going. We don't give up. Now, here's the thing. I can say keep inviting, keep inviting, keep inviting, keep inviting. There's also a place, so I have to caveat what I've just said with knowing your moment. Okay. There is that place. So you have to hold the two things in tension. Of yes, you regularly invite people to the different things. Do you have a toddler group? Do you have um, Alpha? You have all those sorts of things. You keep inviting, but there's that place of knowing your moment, and that's learning to be in step with the Holy Spirit. Learning when to push and when to hold back, when to bring an encouraging word, when to speak truth, when to say come. 
There's a moment where you need to be ready. to You, you love people, they're your friends, you care for them, you, you love them. But then there is a moment where you must be ready to speak of what Jesus has done for you. And here's this one for free. The easiest, it's not even in the passage, I'm just going to give it to you for free. The easiest way to tell someone about Jesus is simply to tell them your story. What Jesus has done for you. It's not complicated. It's not difficult because you know your own story. And here's another one for free. People are nosy. They want to know your story. They want to know what it is that makes you tick. Why do you go to church? Why do you think things that you do? I, um, I, I do some chaplaincy in Croydon and I go into local shops. And I will never forget the day that I went into my local hairdresser. And I've been going in there for three, four, five years. I don't know how long. And I'd always had the same chat with the girl. Same, same chat. Lovely girl. She owned the hairdressers. And uh, it was always a bit light, you know. Hi, Carly. How are you doing? Yeah, Jazz, I'm fine. How's business going? Yeah, great. That, that's kind of the level of conversation that we had. Until the day that I walked in. And literally out of the blue, she said, Jazz. What must I do to be saved? Yeah. And, um, you know, that was I got four or five years of just solidly going in at once a week to the shop. And, uh, and what happened was the day before, she had been at a, um, an exhibition up in London and she got fallen into conversation with someone on a stand who basically said that she needed to be saved. And that person was quite direct with her and quite on with her uh, and she was too scared to say to that person well I don't know what you mean but because I built a relationship up with her and she knew who I was and she knew that I knew Jesus she knew that there was someone she could go and ask so that person sowed a seed into her life and was faithful with the bit they needed to do but what that meant for me is that when I walked in the next day she could say to me Jazz what does it mean what must I do to be saved and then I could just sweep in and tell her what it meant. It was a beautiful, beautiful moment. So there is a place for knowing your moment, and there is a place for holding that intention of going, now I'm just going to keep loving it, and I'm going to keep inviting. The other thing that in this passage, that I, the last thing that I want to draw from this passage, is that we're not on our own. See, the master sent the servant out. The master gave the servant instruction. The master gave the servant courage. That's what happened in that passage. The master uh, gave the servant what he needed to do. We have the Holy Spirit. We have God the Father, Jesus the Son. We can draw close to him. And in drawing close to him, he speaks to us, does he not? We heard some beautiful words this morning as Jesus began to speak to us today. Our lives have changed when we encounter the presence of God. Is it not? Yeah. You guys are quite quiet. My church had been heckling by now. And to be honest, I was expecting Alan to really heckle me. I'm a little bit disappointed. Too polite. You're northern. You're from the northeast. Polite. And so... Um, but yeah, we're not on our own. We don't go out in our own strength. We go out in the overflow of that that God gives us. What I'd like to do now is to pray for us. Is that okay? 
I just want you to just, just be really still and quiet, if that's okay. You can bow your head, you can put your hands out, I don't mind. But actually, this is just a moment where I want the Holy Spirit to do something. Just give your attention to Jesus. Remind yourself of the wonder of Jesus, what he's done for you. That you have been rescued. You've been redeemed. You've been called by name for purpose. That he has prepared good works for you to do that will bring him glory. Remind yourself that it's no accident that you're in Durham, that you're part of this city, that you're part of Emmanuel and and Chesilla Street. Remind yourself that you are fit for purpose. Holy Spirit, would you come now and just rest on each and every one of us? Father, that you would go deep with us, that we would encounter you, that in your presence we would be completely changed. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us about certain individuals you want us to just take hold of? Would you highlight them in our minds right now? That Father, we'd be men and women who go and invite, connect, that we tell of what you've done, we share our stories, that we live authentic lives before people. So Holy Spirit, just come.